We are in a series uh, over the last handful of weeks called Like Father, Like Son. I want to continue that today. I'll finish it next week, kind of a two-part message here today and next week. Uh, This series, started by Pastor Tellus, uh, is to explore the relationship between God and us. Not just looking at what God feels about us or what God thinks about us, but how God sees us. Because God describes himself as a father. And if he sees himself as a father, then that means he must see us as sons and daughters. And if we are a son and a daughter of God, that singular truth should completely reorient everything we know about ourselves and the way we walk through this life. You know, who we are to God and who God is to us are questions of identity. Identity is where you go to find your sense of self or your understanding of who you truly are. And your identity informs your purpose. Knowing who you are allows you to know why you are. And if we can figure out who we are in God and why we are here, then we can walk in those levels of unprecedented freedom that I believe Jesus is calling us and inviting us to walk in today. So today we're going to look at what it means to be a son of God. Title of the message is A Son Set Free. And um, I'm using son interchangeably with sons and daughters. That is all inclusive. In scripture, we really only see sons because there's an implication of inheritance. We're going to talk about inheritance next week. Sons receive the inheritance. In Christ, sons and daughters receive the inheritance. So I may be biased towards using son. That might just be for the sake of brevity. Um, But know that whenever I say that I'm speaking of sons and daughters. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 8. You can turn there as you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. We're in Romans, chapter 8. We're going to read two verses, verses 14 and 15. This is the Word of the Lord. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we invite you into this space today. We want to hear from you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what the spirit of the living God is saying to us this day. We're looking to you, Lord, to make us like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Who we are to God is a question of identity. And I believe the question of identity is first and foremost a question of family. For you can't understand who you are until you understand who you've come from. Here recently I had the privilege of going down to North Carolina to visit my parents and to uh, oversee the celebration of life service for my grandfather. My grandfather was 97 years old. He was a World War II veteran. He lived a long and a full life. And there's an amazing story of reconciliation between him and my father that we can talk about a different day. But what you need to know is my grandfather was not in my father's life for the first 30 years of his life. When my dad was about 30 years old, they reconnected, but only for about a year until my grandfather then moved and retired to Florida. And so over the next 62 years, they had you know, a lot to work through and build kind of a long distance relationship and try to repair uh, the, the relationship that wasn't intended to be there. My grandfather was 92 years old. He moved into the neighborhood that my parents had retired to. And over the last five years of his life, my parents, my father and mother, spent time caring for him, doing end of life planning. And I got the chance to really get to know him a lot in those last few years. 
And what's amazing in the time that I had with him, as I got to spend time getting to know him, uh, having conversations with him, taking my sons down to, to, uh, to meet him, is there are so many similarities in my grandfather. His sense of humor, like he's super sharp all the way up to the end. He was quick. He uh, always learned, loved to learn. He loved to achieve. He was really frugal with money. Like these are all things that I see in my dad. Like my allowance, you guys, was like a dollar. Like, okay, you understand? Like, like we're frugal, okay? But my dad, he's got, a, he's got a dry sense of humor. He's funny. He loves to learn. And, and I kind of actually, as I was reflecting on this, I actually see a lot of those qualities in myself. And there's some of those things like the humor and the desire to achieve and to learn that I even see in my sons as well. And what's crazy is none of that was conditioned in us because my grandfather was not a part of my father's life to put that there. So what I'm saying is there's a biological, a DNA uh, effect that, that fathers have on sons, parents have on sons and daughters that passes down, not just through conditioning, but just through something deeper. What I'm trying to say is our family deeply shapes and affects who we are and how we behave. I'll give you another example. We have something in my family called the McGraw family leg cross. Uh, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why we do it, but my grandfather did it. My father does it. Me and my brothers do it. And last year at Thanksgiving, I caught my six-year-old at the time. (laughs) I ain't teach him that. I don't know where he got it from. All I'm trying to say is our family affects us in deep ways we don't fully understand. There's things that come. We don't know where they come from. Our identity is first always shaped by our family. So whether you had great parents, terrible parents, or no parents, it doesn't matter. They, just by the effect of being your father or mother, have deeply shaped and influenced who you are today. But that kind of begs the question, what happens then if I don't have family? Because spiritually speaking, we are all born orphans. We're born far from God. We don't know who our heavenly father is or how to get to him. If you want to get technical, Ephesians 2, Paul describes us actually as sons of disobedience. So you could take that. Regardless, the point is we are born, we're far from God when we're born, and we don't know how to get close to God. We don't know what it looks like to be in community and in fellowship and in family with God. We're born orphans. And as orphans, we behave like orphans. So we rebel against authority. We reject those who love us. We push against intimacy. We act out of selfishness and self-preservation. That's, that's just what we do. That's our nature that we're born with when we are born as an orphan. And in the churches in Rome that Paul is writing to in Romans chapter 8, I think this is a similar problem that they're having at the same time. So what was complicating uh, the church environment in Rome at the time was the confluence of Jew and Gentile believers. So you had the Jewish people. This was the family of God, the nation of Israel, literally God's chosen race. Like they were in the family. They had the family reunion t-shirts. They had everything. They had keys to the house. Like they were in, in the family. And within that pocket of Jews were some who are now professing faith in Jesus. The Jewish faith points and looks for a coming Messiah, one who would come to intercede between God and man and to save mankind. And we believe that to be Jesus. And there were Jews who were saying that Christ is now fulfilling the scriptures and we're professing our faith in him. But that was a controversial opinion at the time. It still is even to this day. Not all Jews believe Jesus is the Messiah. And so you have now this group of Jewish believers who are spiritually orphaned from the family of God because of their faith in Christ. Then you have Gentile believers who are by definition not Jewish. 
so not in the family, not a part of the club, not belonging, who are also professing faith in Jesus. And so what do you think happens when you mash together these two groups of incredibly diverse and spiritually orphaned individuals? Well, you get confusion. You get identity crisis. You have on one hand, Jews who know they are the people of God, but don't really feel like it. And on the other hand, Gentiles who feel like they're the people of God, but aren't really quite sure if they really are. And both of these groups were acting that way. They were acting out of an insecurity, out of an untetheredness, out of a lack of foundation and mutual love and respect within the body of Christ. So Paul writes to them to reaffirm and remind them, you are sons of God. You are brothers and sisters. You are in the family. You all together, you are one. And I just wondered if any of us have at any time, maybe today, felt spiritually orphaned felt far from God, or maybe felt insecure in the way that God feels about you, and you kind of approach God with a little bit of hesitation because you're not really sure what he thinks about you. Or maybe you had faith at one point in your life, but life happened to you. Church, people in the church hurt you. I don't believe in church hurt. I believe in people hurt. Church can't hurt you. The people in the church can hurt you, but we need to be careful to separate the two. Church is where I got healed from my church hurt. Hello? And you come to God and you go like, I don't know if I'm in the family. I don't know if I'm accepted here. I don't know if I, if I belong here. And so I want to do today what Paul is doing to the church, churches in Rome. I just want to remind you of your status and your standing as a son or a daughter of God. I want to look at three things. I want to look at how we are sons by the Spirit. We are sons set free. And we have a status that is secure. So the first question we have to ask ourselves, of course, is who is a son of God? Who qualifies? How do I know if I am a son or a daughter of God or not? What's the qualifications? And the thing I love about what Paul writes is he makes it like super abundantly clear. He says, those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. It's great. So if you're led by the spirit of God, it means you're a son of God. Which means that the question of sonship is a question of who you're following. Who's leading you in life? Let me put it like this. You guys don't get to see this because it's 1045. My children come to 845 service in the morning. But after 845 service, I go down to Grace Kids with my wife. We collect our children and we make the what feels like four-mile walk from Grace Kids to the Donuts. Not because the church is too big, but because my wife and I want to visit with people and my children do not. They want Donuts. And so we navigate our way through the lobby as best as we can. Uh, And how would you know which children are mine? (laughs) On one hand, you would say it's the ones who are are walking with me, the ones who are following behind me. In many cases, after first service, they were running out ahead. But you would say, on one hand, it's those who are following me, right? But just because you follow me through the lobby doesn't make you my son. There's other people who follow me through the lobby. And just because you follow me through the lobby on a Sunday, once a week, that doesn't make you my son either. But if you notice through the pattern of my life, these people who are always around me, who are talking like me, walking like me, behaving like me, spending my money, thank you. (laughs) You would know that that intimacy, that closeness, that speaks to a relationship deeper than just someone who follows me. That would be somebody in my family. So the question of whether you are a son of God, whether you are led by the Spirit, is a question of who you're following. 
The Bible says if you are led by the Spirit of God, then you are a son of God. So let's talk about what it even means to be led by the Spirit. I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear that term, I just kind of think of like, you know, those people who are just kind of like, kind of like float through life, no boundaries, no rules, they're never on time, they're never where they say they're supposed to be, they don't ever get their work done. Do you know those people? It's kind of like, I'm just led by the Spirit. I'm just out here kind of like, just go where the wind blows. That's not, so that's not it. Okay, just so you know, the Bible has a term for that. It's called irresponsible. Um, I'm just kidding. I love those people. Those people are people of presence. They, they are where they are only. I am rarely ever where I am. I am always. That's not what it means to be led by the Spirit. That's not some erythral you know, or ethereal, you know, like kind of just floating through life mysticism. It's, it's not that. Paul in Galatians 5 gives us a beautiful picture of what it means to be led by the Spirit. Take a look at this. Galatians 5, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So what I see in that is that to be led by the Spirit means at least two things. You have to be actively choosing and taking action that is in line with the guidance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You have to walk by the Spirit. And you have to battle the war that's taking place every moment of every day between your flesh and the Spirit of God. There's a war that's happening. You guys are living in it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Your flesh wants to do one thing. The Spirit of God tells you to do another thing. And you have to battle in that every day, actively making decisions to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. But I have to be very clear on this. Because you do those things, that doesn't make you a son. Get it in the right order. Because you are a son, you do those things. You understand the difference? You don't earn your sonship by going, I'm just going to do what the word says. I'm just going to do it. No, no, no. You are a son. And because you're a son, you follow your father. And you live a life trying to honor him. That's what it means to be led by the spirit. Because you will look like, act like, sound like, think like the person or the things you're following. And I think that means we have to ask hard questions of ourselves. Are we chasing the desires of our flesh or are we putting them to death? Are we the lords and the masters of our own lives or are we submitted to the lordship of Jesus? Does our culture dictate what we do and what we think or does the word of God? The answers to those questions tell me who you're following. And I love the Bible because it's so clear because it says if you're led by the Spirit, that means you're a son of God. That's the only qualification that matters. That's the only thing they're looking for. Are you led by the Spirit? Not are you black, are you white, are you Asian? No, no. Are you led by the Spirit? Because if you're led, then you're a son. Not are you emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, spiritually healthy, financially. No, no. Are you led by the Spirit or are you not? Because if you're led, then you're a son. Whether you're addicted to your sin or you're hooked on the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter unless you are led by the Spirit. That's the only qualification looking for in Scripture. Are you actively following the Word of God? And are you battling the war taking place between your flesh and your blood? And I think that can make some of us feel a little nervous in a moment. As you reflect back on maybe the last week you had or the last few months of your life, and you go, there's not much about my life that I would say proves that I'm led by the Spirit of God. So what do we do 
if we find ourselves not led by the Spirit of God. This is why I love the Bible so much, man. The Bible makes this so clear. It makes it so simple. If you find in a moment like right now, and you go, you're looking at your life like, I'm not, I'm not led by the Spirit. That's not what I do. That's not who I am. That's who I want to be, but it's not who I am. Do you know what you do? So simple. You acknowledge that before God, and you tell God, I'm going to stop living for my flesh, and I'm going to start living for you by the Spirit. That's what you do. That's called repentance. It's called repentance. Saying, God, forgive me. As I've examined my life and my heart, I realize I don't follow you, I follow me. And as I reflect on how I am as a leader, the evidence that I have is a lot of relational hurt, dysfunction, financial instability, anger, and sin. And God, today I'm going to tell you I'm not going to follow me anymore. Jesus, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow you. Would you forgive me for living that way? You repent. And to be forgiven by God, we have to profess faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross as the sacrifice that pays the price for our sins. So we repent. We tell God, I'm sorry. I'm turning. I'm not living that way. And I believe in Jesus is who he says he is. And today I confess my faith in him as the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul. That gets you saved. That gets you forgiven by God. And now that your temple is purified and forgiven and made clean by the blood of Jesus, do you know what that means? That means you are an acceptable dwelling place for the spirit of the living God. So you know what you do next? You say, God, would you give me your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me in this moment? Would you empower me to live and to act and to think like you? That's it. You know how right we got in like one minute? I mean, you, you don't have to wait till the end of the message to pray what I just prayed. You can do that in your seat right now. You can get right with Jesus in this moment. It just takes a second. It almost sounds too easy. But do you know why it's so easy? Because God wants you in his family. His desire is for you to be close to him and to be with him. He, he wants you reconciled to him. His desire is that you would turn from following the world and choose to follow him instead. That moment, salvation moment, justification moment, happens in, a, in an instant. It's quick. It's not complicated. It's not hard. But it's also not the end. Paul David Tripp has this quote in his book, Parenting, which we are currently writing curriculum on. And you just, if you're a parent or you're going to be a parent or you just love the Lord, I highly recommend this book. Um, it's one of the best ones I've read in a while. He says this. Let me read this quote to you. He says, because of the complete work of Jesus, we are welcomed into God's family with all of the rights and privileges of being his children. We have been fully justified and completely accepted. But we are not complete because there's a massive change that needs to take place in us. Let me say it this way. The power of sin has been broken, but the presence of sin still remains. So although the work of Christ on a cross, although your repentance, your confession, your turning, your filling of the Holy Spirit, that's done. You don't have to labor. You don't have to wait. You don't have to fact check. You just, that's done when you believe in Christ is done, but you're not done. That power over your life is broken. The grave no longer will hold you at the end of your life. You have eternity with your heavenly father forever. It's finished. And there's still sin in your life. It's the great conundrum of walking with the Father who fully justifies and redeems you 
And yet your process of becoming like him, becoming sanctified, is ongoing through the course of your whole life, and it's never fully finished. This is important to to, uh, delineate between, because there will be a constant voice in the back of your head every time you sin, every time you struggle, every time you mess up, that tells you, because you're still sinning, God cannot love you. Because you still let your heavenly father down, he cannot accept you. It will be the presence of sin in your life that will speak the loudest against your status as a son or a daughter of God. But I just need to tell you that the presence of sin does not equal the rejection of God. Okay? As your father, you are eternally and unconditionally accepted. Okay? No matter what you do, your father, I know this might not be the relationship you have with people in your life today, so it can take a little bit of mental work to get there to really understand what I'm saying. But no matter what you do, no matter who you are, if you have faith in Jesus, your father will forever and for always accept you. He might not approve of what you're doing, but he will accept you nonetheless. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. And although the power is broken, the presence remains, which is why God does not just call us and leave us, but he walks us into freedom. So our second point, we were our son set free. Whenever you're brought into something, you are also then at the same time being brought out of something. You understand? When an orphan gets adopted, they don't leave the child in the orphanage. When a slave gets set free, they don't leave the shackles on the slave. When Christ sets you free from your sin, he does not leave you standing in your sin. He calls you out of what you were and into what you are. He pulls you out of following the master of your life, the desires of your flesh, the power of sin, and he brings you under a new master, himself, who loves you unconditionally and calls you by a new last name. And when he does that, we are free then to be what God made us to be. So look, God sets us free from at least three things. Think a lot more, but let's talk about three this morning real quick. First, he sets us free from slavery to sin. All of us are born with something called sin nature. We don't earn it. We don't ask for it. We don't develop it. We just have it. Children rebel. They're selfish. We all work with our own interests out of insecurity. There's just sin in our lives. You don't have to condition it. It just comes up out of you. All of us are born into the bondage of sin. And one of my primary jobs as a father of my children is to teach them of the impact that their sin nature will have on them and on those around them. Because I want to guard and protect them from that. The source and the cause of all of their problems, all of my problems, all of your problems is sin. It's, no, it's nothing else. It's nothing else. Argument in your, in your relationship, big fight with your spouse, what's at the root of it? Sin is at the root of it. Okay? Issue with your children, issue with your coworkers, with your boss. What is at the core root of it? It's sin. It always, if we didn't sin, we'd all be in one big merry happy family with no issues. And so this is why God feels the same way about us as I feel about my sons. I want my sons to thrive and to succeed. I don't want them to go through life hurting everybody around them and damaging every relationship they have. I want to call their attention to it so that I can set them free from it. But I don't just want them free from their sin. I want them knowing who they are. 
Because the other thing that sin does, it damages and it harms us and those around us. But sin will also deceive you into believing you're something that you're not. It will call you by its name, not by your name. Certainly not by the name your heavenly father has given you. And you will spend your life wrestling with whether I want to identify with my sin or not. And as long as we're identifying with our sin, I'm just John the alcoholic, man. That's just what I do. I'm Andrew the angry. I'm Mary the anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm George the adulterer. Like that's, just, that's, just who, that's, just, that's just who I am, man. I just, I can't. As long as you're identifying with your sin, you'll never be set free from it. When God calls you into his family as a son, he calls you out of something. He gives you a new last name. So what you once were, you can no longer be called that. The devil will tell you what you're not. Jesus will tell you who you are. So I can stand before you, not as AJ what I once was, but as AJ a son of God. I can stand before you as Sean the redeemed of the Lord, Tiffany a daughter of the king. I get to put on a new identity, a new lens with which I see myself. I can see myself the way God sees me. He sets me free from my sin. He breaks its yoke over my life and gives me a new name. Come on. So the difficulty with that is that we continue to wrestle with sin. And there's that presence that still remains. But here's what I want you to know. Just because you wrestle with sin, which you will for the rest of your life, the temptation to do it, you no longer do it as a slave, as someone who has no say in the matter, as someone who, who cannot help themselves, but is yoked and tied and bounded, bound to this thing. You now face, you now battle sin and temptation as a son. And what is a son of God? A son of God is someone who's led by the spirit of God. Which means that when you are up against it, when you are faced with the temptation to sin, when you are in those spiritual battles, those moments where it could go one way or the other, if you've been there, you know there's a still small voice. Every time, some of you call it your conscience, fine, it's the Holy Spirit. Call it whatever you want it. God gets the glory in the end. It's that little voice that checks you and you have an option. Do I listen to it? Do, do I not? What I mean to say is this. No matter where you go, if you are a son of God, you have the Holy Spirit with you and he helps you fight your battles. He helps you resist temptation. You no longer walk alone. You walk with the power and the authority of God. You know what that means? You are a son. You're not a slave. You now have a choice in whether you sin or not. God is with you. You receive freedom from sin. You also receive freedom from fear. Part of being a son is accepting and walking in and understanding the perfect love of God. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. So this is why understanding our identity as a son is so critical. Son or daughter is so critical. If we allow ourselves to be filled with the love of God, we've talked twice now about the father heart of God towards you, the love of God expressed to you. If you can't grab that identity, you can never be full of the love of God. And when you are full of the love of God, you cannot be full of fear. A child-parent relationship is not marked by a fear of losing the relationship. Do you understand? Children don't grow up going, I wonder, is is dad going to leave me? Is mom going to leave? No, this is why they treat you the way they do. They're not worried about you leaving them. (laughs) Does it make sense now? Did I I open your eyes? 
Your children will behave at school and in other places. They come home, they act however they want. And you're going like, what am I, what is happening? It's because they love you. They trust you. They know you're not going to leave you. So you get the full version of them. For better and for worse. But what it means for us with our Heavenly Father is that we don't have to be afraid of our sin because we have the Holy Spirit who helps us resist sin. We don't have to be afraid of of God when we sin because we receive his mercy expressed through Christ Jesus to forgive us. And we don't have to be afraid of losing the relationship with God because he promises that he will always be with you. And so what that means then is instead of being afraid of God, some of you grew up, you were afraid of your fathers. Some of you as fathers think it's a badge of honor to make your children afraid of you. I would just check you on that and look at how God treats you. The fear of God we're called to have in scripture is a respect and an honor of God, trembling before his holiness and his goodness, that we go, I'm not just gonna approach you casually, but you are holy. Father, dad in the audience, unless you are holy like God, your children don't need to fear you like God. They need to know you love them like God loves them. Okay. Let me say it like this. If God has become your father, that means every day you can wake up knowing that you are deeply and faithfully loved by the single most important person in the universe. And the one who loves you promises to be with you. He promises to sustain you. He promises to greet you each day with new mercies. In that type of relationship, there's not fear. There's joy. There's comfort. There's security but there's not fear. Lastly and quickly, then we'll move on. I also believe that walking in the reality and identity as a son of God brings freedom from oppression, demonic oppression and otherwise. In Galatians 4, 3, Paul writes that we were once enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but in the fullness of time, Christ came to set us free that we might receive adoption as sons. It is our adoption into the family of God that frees us from the bondage and oppression of this world. Oh, we were sons of disobedience at one point. We were following the course and the pattern of the air. We were following, or what is it, the the prince of the power of of the air. But it was God who was rich in mercy out of a great love from which he loved us, who made us alive in Christ, set us free from sin, and seats us in heavenly places alongside Christ Jesus. So what you get to say to the devil when he's speaking out against you and calling you what, you what you're not and trying to remind you of who you used to be, what you get to say to him when he's going, man, you just a liar, you just a fake, you just a this. You, you say, listen, I used to be, but I'm under new management now. Do you understand? I got a new boss over my life. I got a new last name. You can call me whatever you want me, but there's somebody else that has authority over my life. You don't belong here anymore. Thank you for visiting. Please see yourself out. I don't need you in my life any longer. You got to stand in your identity as a son, invoking the authority of your father. When we don't identify regularly, daily, what happened in worship? I felt it in the spirit. I felt that there was voices in your minds, spirits speaking to you, calling you things you're not, trying to steal your identity of sonship in here. And we pressed in worship and we declared and we shouted and we prayed and we stayed there until that was broken. Do you know what that is? That's reminding yourself of who you are and how God loves you. And we will just sit in that until we get it. Because if we don't, we will fall back into slavery. And what kind of slave goes back into slavery after they've been set free? 
One who has not acknowledged the new master over their life. That's who. And we have been called out of sin, out of bondage, out of darkness, out of oppression, out of depression, into freedom in Christ Jesus. There's a new authority over our life, and that sets us free. And that status that God gives us is a status that is secure. Every other status I have in life is conditional. I have to re-earn it or renew it or pay for it again. I used to have TSA pre-check. I let it run out. Went to the airport last week. I'm in the long security lines all of a sudden. Like everybody else, just waiting. Amazon Prime. Every year, man, they charge me. I don't know. I, for me, it was $90. Somebody told me $140. Regardless, every year, Jeff Bezos comes for my money so that I can be a Prime member. AAA. They charge me an arm and a leg every year so they can send me junk mail just in case I ever need a tow. I don't know why I pay for them. I'm... Even my Chick-fil-A status runs out. I'm a signature member for now. I got to eat enough chicken to keep my status at Chick-fil-A. You understand? That's why we're all insecure. That's why we're all afraid of people. If we want a title and a status, we could take it from you in a minute. Good night. If I miss one Netflix payment, I can't watch anything. (laughs) Every status I hold in life is conditional. It's insecure. But the status of sonship, come on somebody, is the only secure status you will ever hold. Do you know why? Because you don't earn your status. You don't pay for your status. You don't achieve your status. Your status is given to you by God. I'm pretty sure my mama gave birth to me, and that's what made me her son. That status is given, so all you can do is receive it. My goodness. And because you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. This is the story of the prodigal son in Scripture. God is the father in this story. Father has two sons. One comes to him and says, I'm taking my inheritance. I'm leaving the home. Basically, I wish you were dead. I'm out of here. He goes. He squanders his wealth. He lives by the flesh, does all the things a knucklehead son does in life until he spends his money and he's left with nothing. Nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to return to. He considers, should I return home? And we all think about that father who's sitting at home, hurt and mad, and that son's dead to me. And But that's actually, that's not what the scripture tells me that that father does. Do you know what the father does? The one who's been rejected, abused, insulted. Do you know what he does? The father who's been robbed. The father who has given only good things to his children. And those children take him for granted and reject it. Do you know what he does? He waits every day by the door for that son to come home. And when he sees him on the hill down the road, he picks up his robes and he runs down the street to give an embrace to his son. Because once you are a son, you are a son forever. In the status that God gives you as his child, he does not take away from you. We have to get over some hurdles in our physical life with the relationship of our fathers to understand this reality. But let me tell you, this is the unchangeable nature and character of God. He accepts you as a son unconditionally. 
And that type of security allows for intimacy because you will only allow somebody in who you feel safe with, right? That's why guys, don't be creepy in the lobby. (laughs) Be a gentleman, be appropriate. They don't feel safe with you. It's over before it begins. Just trying to help my brothers out today. I'm trying to help my sisters out, actually, is what I'm really trying to do, if I'm be honest. When you feel safe with somebody, then you'll allow there to be intimacy between those people. And this is the access that we have with our Heavenly Father. Paul writes in Romans, he says, this is the cry of our hearts. It's this Abba, Father, cry from our hearts. The word Abba, they slip into Aramaic for that one word. It's a, it's a word that conveys the deepest levels of relational intimacy and closeness and familiarity. In our language, we, we think of it as the word daddy. Daddy is a different cry than dad. When my boys go, dad, dad, hey dad, dad. How many, I'm waiting till they put some respect on my name before I respond. <laughs> you can say dad all you want or hey, all you, Okay. But when I hear daddy, that's different because somebody needs something. Somebody's hurt. Somebody's in pain. I'm on my way. And I want you to know that's the relationship you have with your heavenly father. You have a daddy cry that he hears and he answers and he responds to every time because there's relational intimacy and closeness between you and him. And that closeness gives you access. Hebrews 4 talks about this access. It says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we would receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Knowing that you are a son or a daughter of God, that you have been brought out of sin into sonship, that you have been made clean and washed new and that that status that God bestows on you is an irrevocable status, leads to a security that allows you to draw close to God with confidence. And when we draw close to God with confidence, we experience that peace that the Bible talks about that passes our ability to understand it. We experience that mercy the Bible talks about that is made new for us every day. We experience that comfort that the Bible talks about when it says that God is the God of all comfort. Those things can only be experienced when you're up close with God, when you're intimate and when you're near. The reality is all of us from the moment we are born have a cry in our heart for the parental love and care of somebody. We have a cry for a father or for a mother. We just want somebody. We need somebody who will love us, who will care for us, who will guide us through life, who will be faithful to us even when we're acting like knuckleheads, 
I mean, sometimes you know as a son, as a daughter yourself, you go like, I just need to be mad for a moment. I know I'm wrong. I just need to feel the way I feel. I don't need to be corrected. I don't need to be dis- Just let me, where can I go that's a safe place to feel the way that I feel? Does anybody just love me for me? All of us have this hole in our heart for the love of a father or a mother who will direct us through life, even one who will correct us in life with gentleness. There's this Abba Father cry that all of us have and so few of us have fulfilled in Christ. But because there's that gaping hole in our souls, we look to all kinds of things to fill it. Maybe this man or this woman, maybe this relationship will make me feel the love that I really wish I could feel. Maybe these followers on, on Instagram or wherever, maybe these likes and maybe this good engagement, on my, maybe, maybe that will make me feel approved by people. Maybe these substances or these experiences or these images will stop the pain I feel, at least for a little bit, so that I can feel like I'm accepted by somebody or something. All of us, all of us have a cry in our heart that needs to be filled. And I actually think that that cry was put there by God on purpose. I actually think that that heart cry, that heart-wrenching, guttural, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we really allowed ourselves a minute to slow down and examine the root of so much of our pain, it's relational pain from fathers and mothers. And I believe that God allows that so that we would have this inner GPS that always leads us back to him. God knows there is not a man or woman or child on the earth that can satisfy that hole in your soul. He knows that. He knows there's no experience that you can partake in throughout the whole course of your life. No matter how much money you have, status you have, or sign- there's nothing on this earth that can fill that void but God. And I believe it is the grace of God that we carry that pain with us. And I just want you to know that if that's where you're feeling relational hurt, distance, that's a good thing because it's God saying, come to me and watch how I fill that void in your soul. Watch how I heal you. Watch how I love you. You know, human love is expressed by like, we have to, we have to like force it on people. I've got I've to make sure my wife knows that I love her. I've got to make sure my kids know that I love her. I've got to show it. I've got to do it. And there's something about this patient, gentle, compassionate, consistent love from God that's always available and never forced on us that is so appealing to our souls because it's the very thing that we need. I think today God is trying to fill that void in many of our hearts or for those of us who have been with God for a while but have wandered from him I think he's calling us calling us back to him you know Jesus in John 14 he says I know that I I know you're orphans but I will not leave you as an orphan I will come to you and Paul in Galatians 4 says that all who are in Christ Jesus are sons of God through faith. 
What does it take to be a son of God? You've got to be led by the Spirit of God. Where is the Spirit of God leading you today? I believe he's leading us to put our faith back in Jesus as the Savior of the world and the Lord of our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we so deeply admire and are so deeply thankful for your faithful love. A love that casts out fear. A love that calls us out of darkness. A love that allows us to be free in this life and to enjoy you unlike ever before. 